0: I'm telling you, Alabama fans and Ohio State fans are as crazy as it gets. I love them for it. But their, their expectation level is it's unreasonable. It's impossible. It, I mean, if you lose a game, it's like, all right, season's over. It's like, Whoa. what? <laughs> How? Always College Football with Greg McElroy is presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5g hello and welcome to friday today is january 27th we hope that you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show whether that's on spotify apple podcast on youtube you name it we hope that you are having a wonderful start to your week end of your week wherever it is that you're at wherever you're consuming this just hope that you're enjoying it please like rate and subscribe it helps us out and it helps the show out. Look, I'm Greg McElroy here as always with Mark Kubiak and Jack Foster. We have a big game plan for you today. We have previewed each of the Power Five conferences, but because we are always college football, we are college football for everyone. We're actually going to dive into the group of five as well, which, by the way, could be kind of interesting here in 2023. And as we look forward into the future, not so distant future, I might add, y'all, the Group of five is going to start putting teams in the playoff on a fairly regular basis. Now you might hate that. You might love that. You might think that's ridiculous. You might think it's absurd. Well, guess what? It's coming. So we need to start familiarizing ourselves as diehard college football fans with everyone. I'm not exclusively talking about the SCs, the Ohio States, the Texases, the Oklahomas, the South Carolinas, the Mississippi States, the Bama's, the Georgia's, the Florida, like You need to know about Troy too. All right. I want you to know about Troy because Troy might have been the best group of five team in America this past year. You're going to say two lanes. going to say, what do you mean? Fair. Get it. Understood. Troy's pretty good though, as is UTSA, as is all these other group of five teams that are playing high level football as well. So we'll put a bow on the group of five but we're going to do so not in the traditional sense where we dive into the rosters and walk through the players. I mean, look, I got to be honest. Do you want to talk? Because we'll do it. If you want to talk about Tulsa's nose guard, we can do it. I mean, I will, I'll break it down. I'll put on the tape. We'll have a jolly good time, you and I, breaking down you know, Colorado State's right guard. Like, we can do it. However, I'm not sure that's in the best interest of serving the, the big picture audience. We're going to dive into a couple of the treetop topics, but we're going to engage since we have a lot of questions. We're going to engage in some of those questions that we've received from our listeners about the group of five. We're also going to play some low hanging fruit as well. So a little bit more interactive than it usually is here on a Friday, but these are how we envision the show's going forward. We want it to look like this. We want it to be interactive where you guys are a part of it by submitting your questions. Always college at gmail.com or always CFB on Instagram and on Twitter. So this is how we anticipate the show going forward. Let's make it interactive. Let's get to some of the questions that we've had in the past. But let's first start by talking about the group of five. It's time for Let's Talk About It presented by AT&T 5G. All right, usually when we do a group of five breakdown, at least in the last handful of years, you probably know pretty quickly who's going to be involved in that breakdown. Understandably so. I think that you know the usual suspects are as follows in the group of five. Some various order of Cincy, Houston, Memphis, UCF, BYU, you name it, you can probably figure out the order when it comes to some of those teams. Yes, have there been examples of teams that we didn't anticipate getting to the New Year's Six? Yeah, Western Michigan has made it to the New Year's Six. We saw Tulane get to the New Year's Six last year. So there have been examples. Boise State in the past has been great. San Diego State in the past has been really good. Fresno State in recent years been really interesting. The group of five in general is really entertaining football. The problem is it's been kind of predictable as it relates to the group of five champion. And that to me is a little bit frustrating because I, for one, while I respect the American and do think, let's be honest, I do think the American's the best group of five conference. And I know Mike Oresco, who is a dear friend and someone that I love immensely, Uh, He would be absolutely losing it if I called him the Group of Five. He likes to refer to them as the Power Six or the G5. Whatever you want to refer to him as, it's fine. It is what it is. But either way, the American has oftentimes gotten their place at the table just by way of brands. And teams like a la Troy and others still not necessarily held in the same regard. Troy, for instance, out of the Sun Belt, I uh, think you can make a case they were the best group of five team in the country last year. You look at their losses, they lost one on the Hail Mary, the other they lost to Ole Miss in the first week of the season. All right, They beat UTSA, they did a lot of great things. James Madison would be another team there in the Sun Belt that this year, maybe they'd take a step forward. So I think that we need to do a better job, especially as teams in the Big 12 now, formerly of the G5, Especially as those teams are now gone, let's be more open-minded and without you know jumping to a conclusion where well the Americans the best so whoever wins the American goes to the New Year's Six. Like there's great football being played in the Mountain West. There's tremendous football being played in the Sun Belt. There's a lot of great football being played in all walks and parts and nook and cranny of the country. The MAC has great teams. Other teams have great... And especially now, you look at where we're at as far as how things are moving and shaking and you look at Portal and how teams can rally up and rally down. Y'all, I mean, we've seen examples of top, top, top tier teams knock off average Power 5 teams on a fairly regular basis. So let's just stop prognosticating that the American is on a level up from everybody else because I don't think that is at any I don't think that's fair anymore and I don't think at any point uh, that was fair but because they were formerly of the Big East and they had big name brands that have won big games in the past it's like they were put on a pedestal so I hope in this round of realignment we start to acknowledge that there's great football being played everywhere let's start at the top right now In the group of five, though, and I just gave you that long soliloquy about why we shouldn't be talking as, you know, as effusive in our praise about the American as other places. Well, we'll start with Tulane. (laughs) They earned it 12 and two last year, seven and one in the American in the regular season. Obviously, won the Cotton Bowl against the USC Trojans, but they bring back an awful lot. They lost six on offense. They, or they bring back six on offense. They bring back six on defense. Yes, it will be difficult to replace Ty J. Spears. We know how good he was. But you think about their quarterback, Michael Pratt. He returns. Willie Fritz had opportunities to move to the Power Five as a head coach. He turned those down, decided to remain at Tulane in order to finish what they've started. With what they bring back, they should be in a really good position to continue to be very competitive in what should be a deep and competitive position. American Conference. Let's move next to UTSA. UTSA is a team that has been one of the great stories in college football the last couple of years. 11-3 and three this past year, undefeated in Conference USA, and they bring back everybody. I mean, not everybody, but 15 starters out of 22 certainly feels like everybody. Now, one position that was hit hard was their offensive line. They lose at least three up front right now, and they lose a couple of key pieces in the back end defensively. But They bring back Frank Harris, one of the most electrifying players, not just in the G5, but in all of college football at quarterback. He's back for his seventh season. That's right, seventh. You heard that right. S-E-V-E-N-T-H. Seventh season after throwing for over 4,000 yards and accounting for 41 touchdowns last year. And I referenced it. They're going to have to rebuild the interior of that offensive line, but you get a mobile guy like Frank Harris that can carve you up create on his own, extend plays, and find guys open downfield, he's going to be in a great spot. They do lose three of their top four tacklers as well, but they have some guys that were young last year, like Trey Moore and Jamal Ligon, that are likely going to step up in a position where they can be impact players there for the roadrunner defense. And then finally, in the group of five, we're going to talk quickly about James Madison. You look at what James Madison did last year. Ineligible for the postseason, but James Madison, if they had been eligible, they would have obviously won their division in the Sun Belt. They had the best record, and they won the head-to-head against Coastal Carolina. So had they been eligible, they would have gone to the Sun Belt Championship, and this is a group that brings back an awful lot. Now, they made their hay on the defensive side of the football. And Good news is, for Kurt Signetti and his team, they bring back nine on that side of the football. So many great players on that defense. And it was a smashing success their first year at this level. They knocked off Appalachian State. They destroyed Coastal Carolina. They did a lot of really impressive things in year number one. So you got to think now. They go out, they get a couple of transfers in the portal. You go get Zach McLeod or Jordan McLeod, excuse me, from Arizona. You go get Brett Griffiths, who transfers in from Wake Forest going to get improvement at the quarterback spot. You now go get Tyson Lawton at running back as well. They're going to be in a really good position to continue to be successful. Eight and three in their first year in the FBS. That's job well done. But I actually think that is the floor for James Madison heading in to this upcoming season. Also, some other names to keep an eye on this year. Coastal Carolina still probably going to be good. Had some turnover, new coach, but Grayson McCall returns still should be pretty good. Also think that South Alabama quietly went 10-3 and last year. Got to think Kane Womack and company going to continue to ascend here in the next season. His third down there in Mobile. In the Mountain West, one of the best leagues in college football. What's going to happen with Boise State? Found themselves at the end, of course, played poorly in the Mountain West championship game, falling at the hands of Fresno State but Fresno State has to replace an awful lot, including Jake Hayner at quarterback. In comes Mikey Keene, a transfer from UCF. He'll now be the starter more than likely there for the Valley, but the Mountain West, to me, feels wide open. San Diego State, after a tough start, finished the season a little bit better. Boise State figured things out after a difficult start. Wyoming, surprisingly, had a very nice season as well, so I think that league is wide open. And then finally haven't really talked about the Mac just yet. I don't know how you can because every year with the Mac, it feels as if it's difficult to understand who's going to win, who's not going to win. Toledo might be the best in the league coming back, but it's wide open, especially when you look at what's going on with Ohio and how Buffalo played at times last year. So that's your group of five preview. All right. A lot that we're still going to get to. We have plenty of time to dive into the rosters. A lot of these teams still very incomplete. A lot of guys that were on the roster last year, several have jumped up to the higher levels. And then there's several now that started in the higher levels that will find their way to some of these teams and figure out exactly how they kind of fit. So it's tough to totally forecast right now, but that's your treetop view of where the group of five is right now. Let's Talk About It is brought to you by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more
1: driven. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8 S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
0: All right, low-hanging fruit. Time to get into it a little bit. I always feel like this is Coob's favorite topic, given the fact that he comes from the fine-bomb background, but it's not necessarily mine. Let's see if Koobz has some zingers for us today.
2: All right, first one, which is great. Low-hanging fruit or truth. Once Texas and Oklahoma leave, the Big 12 will never win another national championship again.
0: Never. Like, you love those words. Never, always. like It's it's never. uh, First of all, we don't speak in absolutes here. Even though one of our, you know, our name is always college football, we don't speak in absolutes ever because you can never say never. I mean, how can you ever appropriately answer a question, say never, say never? Like For instance, let's use this as an example. The 2010 Auburn Tigers, 2010 Auburn Tigers, right? Led by Cam Newton. Do you realize that there was not one other player on that team that registered an NFL carry? or an NFL reception, not one, not one. That's how important Cam Newton was to his team's success. Now on defense, they had Nick Fairley, a couple other guys that might've played in the league, but nobody crazy. I mean, so the stars align, you win close games, you find a way to get to the finish line a couple different times. You have an elite game changer, at quarterback, Allah, a Lamar Jackson, a Cam Newton, a Johnny Manziel, like a guy that can completely take over the game and do things that are impossible to prepare for. Like, how can I say never? Absolutely not. I'm not going to say that. I think it's probably a little less likely. As we move to the 12 team playoff. I think the teams that have stockpiled talent. Are more likely going to be able to be successful in a multiple-game playoff situation. If you just had to win one, a la the BCS, then anybody could win it. You got to win two. It gets increasingly difficult because the talent level between some of the Big 12 teams and, say, a Georgia is fairly significant. So you have to do it now three times, potentially, and in some cases, four times. It's only going to get increasingly difficult. But no, I would never say never as far as a Big 12 team winning a national championship. It's absolutely feasible, but I think it starts with getting the right coach. I think it starts by getting the right quarterback. I think it starts by being opportunistic on the defensive side of the football. If you can be those three things, you always have a chance.
2: So you're saying it's low-hanging fruit. Okay. All right. I I told you I was going to come out hot with one there. Next one here. In the near future, NIL deals falling through will end up costing a head coach their job more than win-loss records, low-hanging fruit or truth? Low-hanging
0: fruit because ultimately the coach is not really re- responsible, nor are they involved directly with the NIL. The NIL is completely disassociated with the school. Like I wish that they could bring them all in-house. That'd be great. Bring all the collectives in-house, and then it's all run, and it could be monitored, and... Everybody understands that there's hey, there's wrongdoing here. This is well done. Like I wish it could be subject to the transparency that you have to use when running a college football program, but that's not going to happen. I think the biggest or one of the trickiest parts of NIL for coaches is that, let's say, for instance, let's use since it's been a hot topic of debate, In the last couple weeks, even though I don't really like to entertain this because the numbers are so blatantly false that it's almost difficult to even wrap your head around Jalen Rashada, uh, Jaden Rashada, right? $13 million, like we all heard it, or whatever. First of all, it wasn't $13 million. I can tell you that. Now, if he won four Heisman's and four national championships, yes, it might have eclipsed $13 million. But let's use that for as an example. All right. Well, this guy's making $13 million. And let's say he's not ready to play. He's he's not good enough at this point to be the starting quarterback. Well, if the NIL collective and or a very powerful booster said, hey, I'll pay this kid this. I want him to start. Like I invested my hard-earned money in this young man. He needs to be the starter over this walk-on. Why are we starting this walk-on? even though the walk-on's name is Baker Mayfield, why are we starting this walk-on when we have this kid that we just invested $13 million in? We need the $13 million investment to come in and to be a guy, so he needs to get the reps. That's where I think things get tricky with coaches in NIL because are you really in control of your own roster? Sure, at some places, they get it. The buck stops with the coach. like He's ultimately going to make the decision. But let's say you're early in your tenure, you haven't been somewhere for very long, and now... You're going up against the boosters and in some cases, maybe butting heads with the boosters because they're demanding one guy play when the guy that actually gives you the best chance to win is the guy that you're playing. See Georgia, for example. Like If Kirby Smart wasn't a Georgia Bulldog alumnus, if Kirby Smart hadn't already won a lot of big games and almost won a championship back in 2017, if not for all those things, Kirby Smart if the NIL world were what it's becoming, well, you have JT Daniels who made all this money in NIL, supposed to be the guy, and Kirby Smart continues to run Stetson Bennett out there as a starting quarterback. Like The people that are investing in JT Daniels, the companies that are investing in JT Daniels, probably not real happy with the fact that Stetson Bennett is starting a quarterback. So if Stetson Bennett would have lost in the national championship... Kirby Smart would have had to answer a lot of very difficult questions because he lost in the SEC championship. They stuck with him. They beat Georgia. They get back. They play Alabama in the national championship. Let's say they lose. Well, guess what? Kirby is going to have to answer some difficult questions because everyone would say, well, why didn't you just play the guy that was a five-star? Why don't you play the guy that we all invested in? That's where the NIL, I think, is going to become difficult for coaches. But no, I think ultimately you will be fired if you cannot win games. If you're winning games, nobody cares, NIL or not you're winning games nobody cares but if you start losing games and you're not really doing what the collective wants you to do as far as personnel is concerned then that could become problematic
2: all right next one here pressure at winning at top tier programs will cause staff turnover at a higher rate than ever before low-hanging fruit or truth
0: that's truth but it's not so much the pressure to win Uh, the reason why we're going to see more and more staff turnover to me, a few things. One, guys are making more money than ever before. So they're walking away from the game at a younger age. Like back in the day, there were like three things that you did. You played as long as you could, you coached as long as you could, and then you died. Like that's, that's how it went. Like for these old coaches, that's just the way they operated. Like guys were literally coaching on their deathbed. All right. So that's not the way it is anymore. Why? Because every single coordinator, not every single one, but every single head coach, coordinator, position coach at a top tier program is making potentially generational wealth. So why would you coach deep into your 70s if you can shut it down at 55 because you've made more money than you could ever spend? So I think that's leading to a lot of turnover. We just saw it last year with Matt Luke. Formerly of Ole Miss, the head coach was at Georgia as the offensive line coach. Won a national championship. Said, "You know what? I'm I'm good. Like I, I won a national championship. I've made more money than I ever thought I would make doing this. I want to be spend more time with my family. I'm going to shut it down. But the around the clock recruiting, the fact that you now are having to host." Official visits in the summertime, the fact that you're constantly having to deal with not just players, but agents and players' families and players that are constantly demanding more. Do you know that there was a school last year that missed a bowl game that had to spend $3 million on roster retention? Think about that. They missed a bowl game and had to spend $3 million on keeping the players on the roster. And that, by the way, that's, that's the, that's the highest number. I heard that there were other, other places spent less than that. That was the highest number I heard. You missed a bowl game and you're having to shell out $3 million to the guys on the roster that stunk. How does that make sense? And that's what the coaches are constantly having to deal with. Cause these players are like, well, I'll just leave. You know, the greener pastures are over there. I'm going to go. One guy was a backup at one school, backup at one school went to another school, got a higher NIL deal than any of the starters at his former school. He was a backup, went somewhere, got more money than any of the starters at his previous school. How does that make sense? So what do you think the starters at his previous school are saying? Well, they're going to go to the coach and say, hey, look, Johnny Doe just got this. I kind of want this. You got to match it or I'm leaving. It's like think about the additional layers of difficulty that you have to deal with as a coach right now. So the turnover that you referenced, okay, is it because of the pressure to win? No, the pressure to win's always been there. That's that's I don't care if it's 1925 or if it's 2025. The pressure to win ain't going away, but now the additional responsibilities that you have beyond coaching football have made the job way less desirable than it's ever been. It's a young man's game. Guys are making a ton of money. They're retiring early. As soon as they can get out, they get out. And as soon as they can get a chance to go to the NFL, they go to the NFL. And who can blame them?
2: All right. Next one here. Pretty simple one. Ryan Day is under the most pressure to win next season. Low-hanging fruit or truth?
0: I'm going to say low hanging fruit because I think he earned a lot of goodwill with the performance against Georgia. You know, I, I think, I know, hey, it's Ohio State. Like, we're not going to get into the business of giving out moral victories if you're the Buckeyes. Stop. Right. We're not doing that. But they were tough, they were physical in that game. They were up to the challenge in that game. They had a tremendous game plan. They gave Georgia all they wanted. Think about it. Like, who played Georgia better than Ohio State? Like, when Georgia, like, had to, they didn't play well. Georgia didn't play well. But why didn't they play well? Because Ohio State gave them all they wanted. I mean, I I think the people are now looking at it like, man, I tell you what, I mean, that guy right there, he can coach. People forgot that, I think, for a minute. Now, You might, you're going to have detractors. Ohio State, and look, God love you, Ohio State fans. I do. I I love you guys for this. But like, unless they, you know, go 84 and five, like Urban did or whatever the heck his record was, like, (laughs) like it's never going to be good enough. Um, I don't think he's under the most pressure. Uh, I think the most pressure heading into this upcoming season, it's a difficult one, but it would probably be Steve Sarkeesian. You know, I think that there was progress made last year. People are optimistic about the progress that was made, but he's now entering into a year in which they have one year left in the Big Twelve, and then they move to the SEC. They need to show some progress this year, and then also at the same. And there was progress made this year, I might add. Like they they played better in twenty, and people don't remember that, but they played better this year than they did at any point in the previous year, and they had a couple close calls, but. Guess what? You know, this year needs to show even more progress. And guess what? Next year, SEC, it's it's tough sled. You know, it's going to be tough sled. It is. And we all saw what happened when Georgia played against TCU. I'm not saying it that, that would happen every day. I think both teams play their A game. Georgia probably wins by 21 or so. But either way, I mean, you look at it, the step up in competition from what they've faced week in week out in the last handful of years is going to be very different than what he's going to see in the next few years when they get to the league. So Steve Sarkeesian and Jimbo Fisher, I might add probably the two that are, are needing to win the most this year. And I actually think both, by the way, have a real chance to take a step forward this year. I genuinely believe it.
2: All right. Last one, another pressure question. If Alabama, misses the SEC championship game and the playoffs for the second time in a row, there will be pressure on Nick Saban. I mean, not to the or point. hanging fruit or truth? Uh, l- truth.
0: I mean, th- there's no denying that. I mean, the expectation level around Alabama's program are championship or bust. It's simple as that. And there are people after saving wins close games that say, all right, it's time for him to hang it up. <laughs> like people are nuts. And I'm telling you, Alabama fans and Ohio State fans are as crazy as it gets. I love them for it. But their, their expectation level is, it's unreasonable. It's impossible. It, I mean, if you lose a game, it's like, all right, season's over. It's like, what? what? <laughs> How? <laughs> you know? So uh, I I think that there will be pressure, yes. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't think that to be true. But I also think, too, the pressure seldom falls on Nick Saban. He's kind of got a get-out-of-jail-free card no matter what. And all the attention and pressure and blame goes to the coordinators. (laughs) Like, (laughs) You look back over the course of time, look, he's won consistently forever. But if you look back over the course of time, People are constantly pointing to, well, you know, Bill O'Brien's got to go. Pete Golding's got to go. Lane Kiffin's got to go. Mike Loxley's got to go. You know, J- Jim McElwain's got to go. Doug Nussmeyer's got to go. Like, you know, it's, so I feel like the coordinators really take more heat than Nick Saban does. So because he's kind of in a position in which you can't really be critical of, of anything he's accomplished. You just kind of trust how he goes about it. But yeah, there's obviously pressure. and. Uh,
2: Download ESPN bet today. What a play
1: must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: All right. Great job. Kind of bouncing around, hitting a bunch of different topics, did some low hanging fruit, did some G5 previews. Good day today. Really enjoyed it. We'll continue on next week. The senior bowl comes up a week from now. We're going to dive into some of that. We're trying to get a player or two to tell us about their experience From Mobile, what it's been like during the transition, and maybe they could tell us a little bit about their school and the experience that they went through this past year. But we continue motoring on here in the offseason. We're going to start getting into some preseason rankings. We're going to start getting into some recruiting rankings. We're going to kind of put a bow on the transfer portal. If you're like me, you're probably having a difficult time keeping up. We'll continue to hit big picture topics. Maybe a topic or two that might pique your interest as it relates to your team. So we have a lot that we need to get to. I have a notebook of just topic after topic after topic after topic. So bear with us. We have a lot that we will unveil here in the next couple weeks. But like always, we'll be here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future to get you your fix of college football, even as the college football season has officially been put to sleep for all of us here at always college football for Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak I'm Greg McElroy continue to please like rate and subscribe it helps us out it helps the show out and we look forward to our future interactions with you this has been always college football with Greg McElroy presented by AT&T 5G too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G